How can pornography impact you, your loved ones, and the world around you? Discover the answer for yourself in our free three-part documentary series, Brain Heart World. In three 30-minute episodes, this docuseries dives into how pornography impacts individuals, relationships, and society. With witty narration and colorful animation, this age-appropriate series shines a hopeful light on this heavy topic. In each episode, you'll hear from experts who share research on porn's harms, as well as true stories from people who have been impacted personally by pornography. Stream the full series for free or purchase an affordable screening license at brainheartworld.org. My name is Garrett Johnson, and you're listening to Consider Before Consuming, a podcast by Fight the New Drug. And in case you're new here, Fight the New Drug is a non-religious and non-legislative organization that exists to provide individuals the opportunity to make an informed decision regarding pornography by raising awareness on its harmful effects using only science, facts, and personal accounts. We want these conversations to be educational, uplifting, and hopeful as we sit down with experts, influencers, activists, and people with personal accounts, we cover a wide variety of topics that may be triggering to some. During this conversation, we talk about child sexual abuse and how BDSM porn can eroticize sexual violence. BDSM is a variety of often erotic practices or role-playing involving bondage, discipline, dominance, submission, and sadomasochism. Listener discretion is advised. Today's conversation is with Theodosia, but she also goes by Theo or Theta. She's a former BDSM performer. During this conversation, we discuss how her child sexual abuse led to her performing in pornography and why she eventually left the violent and often underground world of BDSM porn. With that being said, let's jump into the conversation. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Consider Before Consuming. Well, Theta, we appreciate you joining us today. And um, you said you took work off today. Was that for the conversation or was that just uh, you just needed a day off? I, I think it's a prudent decision whenever you're going to sit down like this and perhaps even launch some private or intense things in the public sphere to have a day to sort of do that alone. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Do you find that these types of conversations can be really exhausting? Mm, no, I, it's. I think the exhaustion comes before the conversation. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So, is the conversation more neutral or is it energizing? It's energizing usually. Hmm. That's mm. cool. So, you're from Green Bay, if I'm not mistaken. Well, I'm living here right now, but I am not born in milk-fed Midwest, so no. Mm -hmm. Where are you from then? So, okay, so I'm from kind of a place called like the Willamette Valley in Oregon on the West Coast. Oh, cool. Yeah, sort of a small town, like not near Portland, like a few hours from Portland, south of there, so, yeah. Okay. Um, I was just watching a show recently, and they were talking about Bend, Oregon. Is <laughs> yeah. is that anywhere near Bend? It well, it is. Well, it is. I mean, you could say it's it's another sort of jaunt to the east, and it's beautiful out there because it's the high desert in Oregon, and people don't usually equate Oregon with desert, but it's so beautiful. And my family does have a cattle ranch out there, so that is definitely sort of part of my, I don't know, like world exposure as well. So yeah. yeah. Huh. The documentary that I was watching regarding Bend, Oregon, it was oh, no. uh, 
the last blockbuster that exists oh. is in Bend, oh. Oregon. The only one in the world. Oh, that's precious, actually. <laughs> anyway. That's funny. That's funny. I thought you were going to say wild, wild country, and I was like, oh, no. Oh, there's plenty of that out there in Oregon, too, just like wild cults. So I'm like, oh, oh boy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, back to Green Bay. How do you like Green mm-hmm. Bay? You know, Wisconsin has been very kind to me, which surprises me maybe to say because I guess for anyone who knows I'm no fan forgive me for this of football I call it sport ball um (laughs) you know but you know but I'm fascinated you know by like the science of testosterone rising when you're you know your winning team is is on but but apart from that apart from like the nerdiness of it like no I mean I do love cheese I mean that's that's going for it but (laughs) yeah but there's like there's a kind of a minimalist simplicity here that I actually think is quite fertile ground, if you will, even just for creativity and kind of like cleaning your mind. So I appreciate that. Yeah. That's really cool. I've been to Green Bay, and the reason why actually was because to go see the Green Bay Packers play (laughs) at Lambeau Field. Oh, yeah. I'm also not a person who, like, just in regards to watching football, I Mm -hmm. don't watch much football, but it was a cool experience to go to Green Bay. Yeah, it is true. Like, if you are going to participate in the spectacle of football, this is a good place to do that. Like, it's you're getting almost you're almost like mainlining football here if you do that here. Yeah. So, that's the, true. The stadium was like in this, you know, like this neighborhood. It was really <laughs> yeah, interesting. Well, we are so grateful to have you on the podcast mm. today, and you have some unique experience as a former performer. And um, so your willingness to share that with us is much appreciated. The name of our podcast is Consider Before Consuming. And the goal is to put forth information, you know, that people can consider before consuming pornography so that people can make an educated decision. And as I look at the outline of your experience, um, something comes to mind. I think that I know I've heard it several times. So I think it's a kind of a common theory. And the theory is that if if there was a screening process to mm. becoming a performer, and that screening process included vetting people if they've experienced like childhood neglect or mm. child sexual abuse, if that vetting process meant that they couldn't participate and perform and be a performer, um, some people claim that there would like pornography would not exist because the they the claim is that uh, the majority of performers have experienced uh, traumas in their life that have led them down this road. Mm-hmm. And so, I wanted to get your opinion on that. Um, do you think that that is uh, an overstatement when people say that the majority of performers have experienced some type of um, trauma or childhood neglect or childhood abuse that led them to being that in that industry? Mm. Well, this question makes me run through my Rolodex in my mind, both of maybe my own experiences and you know the other girls I encountered in the industry. And... Um, I think it is a safe 
thing to say that yes, the majority of people working in the industry, and I would say even from either the girls that are in the industry to the guys and everything in between, have some some kind of wound. Like these are not healed people, if you will, that are participating in this industry. So whether or not it's like that wound of sex abuse or some sort of domestic violence or childhood neglect or, you know, or just daddy issues in another way, maybe being bullied intensely. I mean, it, the list can go on. So that's the thing. But um, I would say that, yes, yes, it's safe to say that, yeah, the majority of girls I work with had some sort of, you know, darkness in their past by all means. And yeah, and even for myself, that's safe to say. Yeah. But what that then relationship looks like between the two is a little more complicated. So, And going into your experience, um, can you talk to how you, I know this is like a very, mm-hmm. it's, it's just one question and there's yeah. so much to it. <laughs> but the question is like, how did you end up in the pornographic industry? Sure. <laughs> it's, a very, I, I it's, it's just one question, and there's so much to it, like I said. So I don't know mm-hmm. exactly where to start. Where would you like to start? Sure. So, well, here's the other thing. I won't, you know, launch into some huge monologue about the beginning. I think what's a little more interesting is, like, to, is to pick out, oh, shall we say, the things that sharpened the arrow in that direction, okay? So, okay. I mean, sure. Okay, fine. Yeah, again, textbook, foundation of... Not only, um, you know, being introduced to sexuality at 13, but then to be introduced to it through the context of sex abuse. Like, that is important only because it's like if you're being introduced to something that is a pretty major component of human experience and, like, your drives and desires in life, right? I mean, your sexuality is a a big makeup of who you are. It's not the totality of who you are, but it definitely is a big part of you. So to then to be so to be introduced to it in that context where it had obviously twisted power dynamics, okay. Um, and the other thing that like I learned in this dynamic was that again that that sex was unreciprocal, mm-hmm. okay. Meaning that I I was there to give of myself and essentially I was sort of like a human sex toy, but you know I did not receive in return. Um, and like, I, I wasn't even really kind of part of the equation in that way. So that sort of cemented that because what do all these things do? They start to obviously like, you know, create pathways in your brain, right? That will obviously steer your life later. And so, okay, so here I am that like, you know, that like adults having sex with children is sort of normalized. All right. Like that level of perversion, you get sort of conditioned to it. Um, yeah, that sex is unreciprocal and... There was even something, shall we say, about even you can it's it sounds really creepy, but you're so idolized in this really creepy way when you're this forbidden object. Mm-hmm. Um, and that messes with your head. Like that's a hard thing for like a child brain to fathom. Like that, because like, you know, because every child in some regard might be neglected in one way or another, or maybe not quite get like the maybe even like the. I don't know, like the emotional satisfaction from their parents. So there's some other dysfunction they're facing. So when you get like lavished with attention that way, you also get used to kind of that love bombing process pretty early. Yeah. And that also leaves an impression. So again, so those are sort of sort of things that start to sharpen that point. And um, 
I think the other thing again is um well going back to conditioning because even at 13 it's like I was photographed naked so you know again like it was normalized so there's so much like normalization happening here of extreme and very illegal taboos from a young age so yeah so that's the start yeah, <laughs> yeah. so those are some of the the universals would you refer mm-hmm. to those as kind of the universals of things that can happen and things yeah. that did happen to you mm-hmm. um, so some of those universals occurred to you yeah um that kind of like you said sharpened the arrow and Mm -hmm. steered you to where you ended up Mm -hmm. um well here's another thing i want because again we're talking obviously about pornography images and obviously my whole you know obviously like body and sexuality being captured in that way right um because i think another thing is that even like when law enforcement got involved right, in my life, you know, to sort of like raise the red flag and be like, hang on a minute, this is mad illegal, what's going on? Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that also, again, like that created such like a state of cognitive dissonance and confusion and like questions left unanswered, which, which was the whole, you know, the forensic medical exam part where, again, my body is being photographed by adults. I'm being touched against my will. And for some reason, there was something even about that context that was even more confusing. Because even though in the first situation, the photographs were taken by an adult, it was only one adult in the room, and like they weren't going to be seen by anyone necessarily, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But in this context, it's like my body, like my naked like 15-year-old body was, or even 14-year-old, excuse me, was going to be like passed around to like all these lawyers and judges and nurses and jurors. And I'm like, what is that about? Yeah. Like what? Like that idea was horrifying to me. Yeah. So I recently had a conversation with a forensic um, physician, mm-hmm. a sexual assault physician, mm-hmm. and she's been in that field of work for 18 years, and she described that experience as being very challenging mm-hmm. and rewarding at the same time. Um, your experience with that side of law enforcement was a very negative experience, mm-hmm. it sounds like. And obviously, I don't think it's ever going to be a pleasant experience in being the victim. You'd be surprised. Well, because, well, I can only say that because later on, like 10 years later, I was working for the district attorney doing that exact thing of being there for the forensic medical exams. And I guess maybe it's just because of, again, my, uh, I guess, very deeply empathic intuition. But because of my involvement, they're all like, it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. And that was music to my ears. So it doesn't always have to be total torture. But I think, but the mistake was that I didn't understand what was going on. Yeah. Like it wasn't explained to me. Did your parents make that decision for you because you were a minor? Mm, No, I think that once, especially as you are a minor in the legal system, like not even your parents can necessarily, I think, even intervene. Um you know, with as like investigation and like, you know, the discovery process like continues. I, I don't, you know, mm-mm. that gets tricky. So, wow. So, you had the um, childhood sexual abuse, um, and then you had this traumatic experience with the law enforcement. Mm-hmm. And this is just, in a way, it's kind of molding your view of sexuality Mm -hmm. and from what you said it's that you kind of felt like an object 
to be acted sure. on rather than to participate in. How did that misunderstanding of healthy sexuality well, I guess, did you ever think the sexuality was even healthy at that point? Mm. Was there a healthy sexuality or was it this toxic thing? Well, I was very confounded by how it seemed to possess people. Yeah. It seemed, I mean, people, I mean, again, as a, as a young child, I saw people pretty much ruin their lives over it. I was like, how is it that powerful? I, I You know, because... I think maybe one of like the odd maybe benefits, if you will, just sort of being able to sort of like be on the object end. Like I'm not the one being like burned up by perverted lust, if you will, you know? So it's like, I don't have that problem. I'm not gonna end up in prison for my sexual desires, you know, like, yeah. no. Um, but then to see how that's, that's possible. I was like, what is up with that? I, so I didn't even know if I'd made a judgment that it was toxic. I just knew that it was incredibly powerful, and I wanted to know why. Um. Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting that you are kind of expounding on that point because, you know, the name of our podcast is Consider Before Consuming. Mm-hmm. And for for some people who are in that state of consuming or wanting to stop their consumption, mm-hmm. there is that... Um, question in their mind of like how can I stop mm-hmm. like I have tried to stop consuming pornography again and again and again and have failed again and again and again and mm. so I think that there is something to what you are talking about that mm-hmm. um, obsession or mm-hmm. maybe even beyond obsession where it's a, a compulsive behavior yeah the, the urge to engage or consume is greater than their ability to control themselves. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What, was, what were your thoughts as you observed that a person, an adult, ruining mm-hmm. their life to engage? Well, the funny thing about this is I did know that this particular adult was also introduced to sexuality through the context of like sexual assault and rape. You know, nobody wants that. Anyway, so I think that sometimes even when people do have either negative experiences or traumas and they can't figure them out, I think that maybe it's cliche to say, but maybe some people really do kind of take like a forked path and like some almost kind of like stay perpetual victims and others sort of need to explore like what it's like to you know, be on the other end of things and like, so. That's interesting. I think it's another point maybe we should talk about is when we're talking about abuse, we're talking about the difference between response, like genital Mm -hmm. response Mm. and arousal. Mm. Right. Can you talk to that a little bit about as you experienced sexual abuse and the confusion Mm -hmm. that you may have felt from, you know, the, the genital response versus your Mm -hmm. true arousal and desire. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is okay. And this, I don't think is talked about nearly enough. And I think that a lot of people carry very putrid shame about this around because it, it seems so counterintuitive, right? That like, even in the context of sexual abuse, even when you can be consciously, again, thinking thoughts of contempt, towards your abuser, right? Even finding them just like appalling and disgusting, right? 
you your body can still have like a response that seems akin to pleasure like you are still capable of having orgasms for example or maybe like yeah like getting an erection for a woman like you know whatever it is girls do um you know so that's that's the thing so and that to, to even be able to like notice that your body has that response when again whatever is going on in your mind is contradicting that is again that is a that is something that's very hard again for like child mind or really anyone any kind of mind to sort of wrestle with because it's like which signal do you listen to like what like what is like what i'm getting mixed messages here you know yeah and and not only that but to but then to be like how could i be like turned on by what is essentially like a crime like hmm like what does that say about me as a person you know you go into like you can go into a state of pretty dark self-judgment on that one so do you feel looking back that that experience in particular that that concept of why is my body physically responding in this way but yet it shouldn't be because like you said it shouldn't be because this is illegal and this is not right and I'm being acted upon I'm not mm-hmm. I'm not here and and choosing this did you feel like that set a standard of what or I guess did it help mold your sexuality later Mm. on in life well it certainly did um I don't know if I'm articulating that question basically yeah did you desire that to to replicate that trauma oh well by all (laughs) by all means you could almost say like I had a whole career in the replication of trauma um but but here's the thing but you also have asked me about like the difference between so we say just your body responding right just because it's being you know manipulated touch like what have you um and then genuine desire and i think that you know to to go back to that question like real true desire that comes from oh i don't want to say comes from within but but comes naturally i should say or is that isn't just a mere response to being, shall we say, manipulated by another. Like, that is rare, and that is not something that I experienced until I was much later, like when I was 19. So there's also that, too. It's like you're very, very divorced, if you will, even from, shall we say, just almost like the normal, you know, evolution of things, like just getting crushes and it being sweet and all that. Like, no, no. So. So how did that play out for you? wanting to replicate that mm. um, abuse or or would you prefer to talk to that experience when you first genuinely felt interested in in another person you mentioned that was at age mm-hmm. 19 sure well and it's ironic because it led to violence so there you go so i mean what also what kind of lesson also did that teach that even uh, even if, shall we say, like I fell in love with someone or truly desired them for who they were and and like genuinely wanted union with their body, okay? Because that, not really, you know, not for the majority of people that I've, you know, had any kind of sexual encounter with in my life, if, if it was totally up to me, I would almost want nothing to do with them. So, so to have this kind of like rare experience there but then to be because the situation in the life at the time i i won't get into it because it's it's quite it's quite the story um and it'll feel a little like maybe oprah's couch and we don't need that Mm -hmm. but um yeah um 
but it did lead to, yeah, shall we say being punished for that desire. Again, violence, again, law enforcement getting involved. It was kind of at that level. Um, and I quickly learned that like love, falling in love, it being real in that way, real desire was the most, it was so dangerous. It was so dangerous. And I almost didn't, and I almost rejected it. And I didn't want it after that. I didn't want anything to do with love. <laughs> like, not, no, were it's you, too dangerous. Were you mistaking love for an unhealthy uh, state mm -mm. of mind? Oh, well, let me, okay, let me separate this. Le, le, shall we say the person in this, in this story, the one that I fell in love with did not harm me in any way. It was another man that was jealous, if you will, of my falling in love for real. So that, that needs to be made crystal clear. Oh, so, okay. yeah, no, 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 no. So, so is that, even that experience of like purity and genuine reciprocity, because again, remember how I learned that like sex was unreciprocal and then it was like a rare breakthrough even for that. So, and that's, that's mind shattering when that happens because that, it almost like flips the tables over and flips over everything you have been conditioned to for the negative. And you actually get to like experience it in a beautiful way for the first time. So yeah, that that is pretty major. But then again, you know, to have, um, I don't know, adversaries bursting on into this beautiful party of love, if you will, and, and again with violence and with really calculated, disgusting, sadistic violence too, like very psychological violence as in addition to physical violence. And it was confusing because it's like, also it's like, how could such pure desires of mine that are very heartfelt be so, one, be such a threat to other people and two, be punished in that way. Like, like oh, you know, so many, it left so many questions, so. Yeah. As you experienced that, uh, that healthy relationship at, ni at 19, mm -hmm. were you guys engaging sexually? And the reason why I ask that is because I just kind of wanted to get your take on the uh, the difference that you saw and felt in the unhealthy mm -hmm. sexuality that you had experienced and that the the healthy sexuality. What's the essential difference, if you will? It's it's yeah, like again, reciprocity, like the experience of like the reciprocity of pleasure, and where like one gentleman like genuinely needs the pleasure of another, and the other like forsakes it, oh, like yeah. he doesn't give a hoot. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Talking about consent. How did you finally learn that concept mm. of, of true consent and, and figure that out for yourself? Probably not till I was in my thirties. That's pathetic. <laughs> it's true I think, though. I think that's more common than we would like mm. to admit though. Mm -hmm. It's true. Cause at 19 is when you have this, this relationship where you mm -hmm. really genuinely enjoy this person, mm -hmm. but you didn't understand consent until 30. Mm -hmm. And going back to the conversation that I had with the, uh, the um, sexual assault physician, she said that's one thing that is lacking is this education about consent. Mm -hmm. You know, that we need to teach our young people what is consent, what does it look like. And if you look at the pornographic industry and you know, the common phrase is that no means yes in some ways. Mm -hmm. A lot of people say that about the pornographic industry, that when someone says no, it's actually means yes. So mm -hmm. the the line of consent is blurry. Yeah. It can be, especially for youth. 
did you experience that? Well, okay. Well, we're going to have to go back to something because I think that I mentioned to you that uh, because I, I, from a young age, I did not enjoy either being identified by others or experiencing the state of victimhood. Okay. I don't like it. I rejected it completely. Um, even if it was accurate, I didn't like it. I wanted nothing to do with it. Um, and because I also didn't like any kind of experiences of being powerless in any way, I hated that. I hated having absolutely no say as a kid over anything I could do, especially again in like situations of law enforcement. So mm. I, again, so I created indeed like this mental stratagem, if you will, from again from like 14, 15, okay, of like consent doesn't exist, therefore I cannot be violated. Okay. And so I don't, so I cannot speak to what other performers were doing or other, you know, just people involved in the industry, like where they are with this question. And I think if anything, sometimes even the conversation around consent has gotten a little neurotic, almost to where like, maybe we're talking, it, it's, it's almost like word salad at this point. Like, what are we even talking about anymore? Um, but what I can say is that like, I, I just completely erased the concept for a long time in my life and, it, and I didn't even revisit shall we say even how to define it until f far after so and you said that you erased the concept of consent as well mm -hmm. as violation because yeah mm -hmm. if, if consent doesn't exist then mm -hmm. violation doesn't exist so exactly. in your mind for many years neither of those existed exactly okay and it was, and it did, I, it is not, I, and if, the other thing, this is a lie, first and foremost, I hope people also understand that, like, it's not, it, it doesn't lead to a luminous place, if you will, if you kind of follow that, but at the same time, well, and whether or not I should have endured a lot of things is, you know, up for debate, but it did give me a framework, if you will, to sort of be able to buffer the intensity of a lot of experiences. So, because you, because retrospectively, absolutely, the majority of my sexual experiences were extraordinarily non-consensual. Do you think but, that it was yeah. a coping mechanism? Well, of course. That connection. Sure, it's a smart one. <laughs> so, it's messed up, but it's smart. It's yeah, it does it because it puts it does it puts a pillow between you and reality. So, yeah. Yeah. Did as you journeyed from you know, experiencing the child sexual abuse and then journeying through life. Did your parents or other caregivers observe that, mm -hmm. um, that coping mechanism or that pillow between you and reality? Um, I think that they were confused by my reaction. Like, I, I remember even having a conversation about this with my mother recently where you know, when things came to light, you know, and like, you know, all of a sudden detectives are in her house and obviously some very unsavory things have to be spoken about. She said that I, I responded like I was emotionless. Like I, I was completely so poker face. Mm -hmm. And she thought that was strange. Like it struck her as strange. Yeah. Um, but to me, I think at the time I was also so almost like dumbfounded by shock and shame that like I, I, I didn't emotion or emoting of any kind was not. Mm -mm. No, I just I just shut off because yeah. otherwise it would be too much. So interesting. And do you think that you remained in that emotionless state from mm -hmm. age what age until what age? Yeah, I would. Back? 
I think that I definitely kind of went in, in the numbness, if you will, like that I adopted, like the ultimate poker face that I wore in my life, I would say for at least a decade. What what occurred in that decade? You How did you finally enter the the mm. pornographic industry. Okay, I would say like this numb period, if it, it's like 15 to 25. I would say it was sort of like a, extreme suppression uh-huh. of emotion, especially in favor of logic, just like cold logic. Part of it was indeed to get away from the non-reciprocal boyfriend, okay, who was violent. I had Then I had questions about that, okay, because another question that he left me with, he once told me like as he was hitting me that like that violence was the only language I could understand. Well, and so again, so here, so I have all these questions, right? I, and so if anything, even a lot of like, I, I wasn't getting answers from therapists or doctors or friends or parents, authority figures, like no, like no one, ha- like I, I wanted to know more about the, like, again, like the nature of my experiences what this whole, you know, I understand violence bit is about why it seems like the just extremely intense experiences were kind of haunting me in my life. If you, I just, again, I had all these questions. I had so many questions. Um, and not only that, it just, I, and it just also like a certain recklessness, like a fierce, almost like frothing at the mouth recklessness. Mm-hmm. So... So questions, when I'm hearing you say that you had a lot of questions, mm-hmm. one thing that I think of is the word curiosity. Mm-hmm. And I also start to think of, you know, the first step in the scientific method is is questioning something, right? It's like, does this <laughs> yeah. do this or does that do that? And then you go into this scientific method of uh, performing an experiment or some type of research. Mm-hmm. Do you... Do you kind of consider your journey um, almost like this personal research that you did out of curiosity? <laughs> I know funny that's kind that of a weird, that. weird question. No, maybe. no, it's not a weird question at all. And I think that uh, that is a very apt um, yeah, description of kind of yeah, the attitude I adopted. Because and where I almost, it almost, in a weird way, it was almost like even the scientists that was like injecting themselves with their own vaccines, mm. you know, it was like, I would give my all, you know, to plunder the mystery of these questions. It was just, it was burning at me. I wanted to know. I had to know. And and again, the, the shall we say the more orthodox sources were not delivering the information I wanted. Was your curiosity just around like what is healthy sexuality because I haven't experienced it or what is consent Mm. or what is violation? What were some of your questions? Mm. No, what just, what is it for? I wanted to know what sex was for and I wanted to know why it was so powerful. And not only that, if there was a way to maybe even wield that power, like study it. I wanted to study the power. It was all about power. Like, and so hmm. I had almost like this obsession with power Ooh, because you're right. Yeah. Cause I was curious about that. It's almost like topping from the bottom. All right. I was like, is, is there a way, if you will, again, to sort of, yeah, get control of the situation through almost like kissing the boot. Especially because, I, and I think that this is a unique position of women. I will also say that. I think that women, uh, 
just by nature of who they are and how beautiful women are and how gifted women are if you almost sort of even study your own femininity like a science as well a science and an art that's another thing that i was like what about that you know because i did notice that men would take very good care of women that had a certain influence in that regard and that also interested me Hmm. um can you talk to a little bit more when you said specifically women can you talk to that um perspective of what you meant by that because i kind of i I didn't catch that okay well uh and and again people are allowed to they they can disagree with me over this if they want no no shade um but i really do believe in like the marrow of my bones and really even just like the foundation of just my worldview in general that women do have a very unique influence by virtue of them being women Mm mm-hmm um, and and men can respond to this in one of two ways. I think they can either seek to kind of cultivate it and caretake it yeah. and almost like invite more beauty and goodness forth. Uh-huh. Or men can seek to sort of contain it and destroy it and sort of try and snuff it out. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, I've found that I think pornography, I think that... Uh, it perpetuates things like complacency, impulsivity, mm-hmm. compulsivity, arrogance, mm-hmm. uh, resentment, and deceit. Yeah. I think it, all of these negative things. Mm-hmm. And um, so I can see, I like how you said that it can, I think pornography can box uh, a woman, especially. Mm-hmm. If you look at mainstream internet porn, yeah, literally, yeah, <laughs> it can it can box um, mm. a woman into an object mm-hmm. and take away from their femininity. Yeah, absolutely. I guess it's not actually taking it away, but try well, to try to limit it. Try to limit it. Warp yeah. what mm-hmm. what the what femininity is. Well, and so that's one of the questions, if you will, that led me into pornography was like what what do men want to do with women if they could do anything that's a dangerous question to be asking but i wanted to know (laughs) so yeah Mm -hmm. and as you asked that question what were the next steps to inquire to to look and what was the research that you did per se find the right man or or yeah find a right man for this kind of project if you will uh, because it can't just be any bloke. Like, it can't, you know. Especially because... Because a theme that I would sort of notice, and this was also... This this is a very, like, wayward... We can talk about this later, but, like, a, a way that creativity, if you will, can go waywire. Waywire, is that a word? Wayward. wayward. Um, or haywire. Um, is... Uh, because shall we say even like darkness or really messed up stuff can have a certain glamour to it and a certain creativity to it that can be alluring Um, and so that I knew that I needed to find someone who was smart like erudite creative kind of weird like you know a lot of like shall we say even like the qualities that I wouldn't answers to in myself Mm -hmm. because like I definitely I I mean I look I have not been 
really part of the main tribe since the beginning and so is is kind of just like yeah natural little like misfit you know mm-hmm. i wanted i wanted even to have questions about that answer so my question is regarding eroticizing violence mm-hmm. do you feel like you encouraged that with your mm-hmm. during this experiment per se yeah, during the experiment, by all means, I would say that, you know, before in the times like, yeah, I've experienced like outright domestic violence, like that response surprised me uh-huh. to eroticize it. All right. Yeah. Um, and, and it wasn't really my go to. But I would say, yeah, that after that, by all means, I needed answers as to what that relationship was like between eroticism and violence and why it was so powerful. Again, there's that power word again. Like, why, like, why is this, why does this short circuit me? Like, why, what is it about this? Why is it so overtaking? Yeah. I wanted to know. Yeah. And Mm. can you share with us what you found out? Hmm. Okay. Is that, oh, a too, oh. is that a very complex question? I'm That's saying. a, I know, right? It's like, get, get ready for the PhD dissertation after five <laughs> o'clock with martinis on a Friday. Um, no, okay, but, um, well, I'll do my best to distill this down. Um, <clears throat> because, okay, here, and here's another thing to keep in mind. I mean, oh, this is sometimes what I miss living about Europe, I have to say, is they do have a bit obviously less of a Puritan view of sexuality, okay? That's, and, and I'm not saying this to, you know, to corrupt anyone, but it's more like people always have to understand that sexuality was more so almost just like a tool in my toolbox. Again, I didn't have much of a personal use for it. So even I could almost like objectify this gift of myself as well and be like, again, I'm not really doing this for my own personal erotic, I'm in love with someone desire. I'm doing it just because it's it's just like it's just like a paintbrush, and I just I need I need this you know to make the canvas. So when you then like indeed like seek out then ex- then you'd connect that if you will with then experiences of violence if you and we're and, and this isn't like dainty violence this is you know outright kind of you know get the government's attention kind of violence so. Yeah. What was it about that? Because because also remember I was numb. Right. And then all of a sudden you introduce extreme either violence through psychology or through physicality or even just through endurance, even just just. And all of a sudden it's like then I was feeling so it definitely it's like then like the uh, the birth of a masochist. Okay, was born. All right. Yes. Some people cut themselves. If you would me, I guess. Yeah, I ended up in bondage porn to have some feelings brought back. So there is that. Yeah. Can you ex- talk to um, the type of pornography you were in? When you say bondage pornography, I don't mm-hmm. know if everyone oh, okay. is going to kind of understand what that is. Sure. Um, I, I mean, if, I mean, what? I mean, like yeah, tying people up, like hitting them, putting them through kind of just bizarre psychological stress scenarios. Uh, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's really, it's, you know, like, I don't want to say 50 shades of gray because it's not really like that. I don't know. It was a little, it was darker than all that. I don't know. And the kind of stuff I did, it looked like, I don't know, it was sort of filmed in like a Russian gulag prison, you know? So it had, and yeah, that's the other thing. Like a lot of it was inspired by, yeah, like old crime scene photos okay just sort of like cult experiences like that's the other thing it's like we're drawn from some very 
dark material here to almost even be like recreated as like a living version of like I don't know yeah like the scenes from like the BTK killer you're like dude what are we doing here you know it's pretty dark like there's it's dark so it's also something that like once you see you can't ever unsee and so I would definitely even caution curiosity here so yeah yeah of course we don't want to you know be a trigger uh, yeah for someone to go seek it out Mm. um one of the questions i have is because i think in the in the world of anti-pornography i think it's common for people to point to bdsm or bondage Mm -hmm. pornography and say look this look and see this is Mm -hmm. this shouldn't be happening happening this is violent and aggressive and it it appears to be non-consensual in some Mm -hmm. cases so I think a lot of people from the anti-pornography world will point to that. I think oftentimes the response of those people who are participating in BDSM or those people who enjoy consuming yeah. pornography, that is BDSM, I think their response is, you know, don't kink shame me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, can you talk to that a little bit? I don't know. Hmm. Do you think that there is something to that when, when they respond saying... When a person responds that enjoys it or engaged in it, they say, don't don't shame me for this mm-hmm. desire. I think maybe both are right in a certain context. Okay. All right. Um, because it is, it is true that, like, some people can use the viscera, all right, of what they see in bondage pornography as kind of the poster child of why this should not exist. Um, on the other hand, it would be um, it, it would just be foolish to say that human sexuality is also not full of um, mm, s- some pretty varied in- interests and inquiries. Right. All right. I I would say that it's not a good idea to wear those on your sleeve. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that and I would also but one thing I would say I think the more interesting question to ask with all this is well, what is this how do, what does this do what does this do to our tastes like how does how does this maybe affect culture at large mm-hmm. I mean is this affecting children in any way in their sexual behavior you know like those questions are a little more you know it's not just look at the torture of it and just have a you know, a repulsed reaction that'd be like, yeah, get rid of it. It's like, well, well, why? Why should this not exist? Like, let's go deeper there. Like, what's wrong with it? Let's really talk about that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and we at Fight the New Drug, if you look at our mission statement, you know, is to educate uh, regarding the the harmful effects of pornography. Mm. And so we agree with you in that sense that it is important to figure out the why and Mm. to talk about why is this that way or why is this healthy or unhealthy? And so I I think we are on the same page there. Mm -hmm. So not having an agent and (laughs) engaging in this um, underground uh, society of sorts, Mm -hmm. did you, were you put into some questionable situations where you did start to kind of fear for your health or for your life in some cases? Mm, uh, well, you got to understand, like, I was almost like a toddler with a death wish at the time. I, like, it didn't, 
like mm, that wasn't even part of the equation at the again i because remember like a burning recklessness mm-hmm. so and it's not that i was suicidal it wasn't it almost like it wasn't it wasn't like that but it was that that was again that wasn't part of my consciousness at the time um and the other thing was that i was shall we say like primed by others before entering like deeper and deeper environments into this world and so that because remember i i was you know normalizing something that's abnormal is very effective especially when it comes from someone you trust right and so it would be like other models other girls and sometimes other dudes um well because it was like it was another like local dominatrix like in the in the portland area who had worked for the producer that i ended up working with the most about like you do not say no no does not exist don't you dare ever backtalk him you know like you're given pretty stern instructions for going so you kind of you know you already you kind of already know that like it's in a way it's almost like going on a date with ted bundy in a certain way and then and then on another hand you know that you're going into like a tyrant's lair like that's not going to come as a surprise mm-hmm. yeah and as you were introduced to this life, did you enjoy it? Did you enjoy aspects of it? Or were you completely numb where, where the, there was no enjoyment at all? Mm, well, what I was surprised by was how personable everybody is on set. Because and, and here because here's kind of like the, cl- the clicker, the kicker, if you will. Um, I, I mean, because here's the other thing. It's like w- when you're in that kind of environment, people do drop their guard a lot and there is something even about like the vulnerability you see or even just like the honesty you see it's kind of like there's honor among thieves Mm -hmm. and it's found here you know so there is something about that even though if people were totally messy and totally wounded at least they were honest about it and that that intrigued me, and that attracted me, and and even like a lot of the other girls that I met or were, there was always this sweetness to them as well. Like they were just they were messed up, but they were sweet. Yeah. So there was even like a lot of like you found like tenderness in bizarre places. It's almost wow. like finding tenderness in the prison, you know. Wow. Do you yeah. think that it was a type of emotional connection that you were missing? Mm. Oh yeah. Oh, by all means, yeah. And it could be found in sort of like little spurts, like here and there, like with other, just like deep conversation. I mean, because it's a little weird, if you will, to like show up on a bondage set and someone's like, so you want to talk about Schopenhauer? And I'm like, wait, what? You want to talk <laughs> philosophy? Like, you, it's like, wait, part of me, you know, so that's the other thing. It's like, and you also didn't anticipate so much intelligence. Yeah. And so that took me aback. There was a lot of it, strange intelligence. Again, like, People being, if you will, like open to be the mess that they were, honesty, and yes, strange tenderness. But you also have to understand there's always like, I don't know, a scorpion sting around the corner too. So, but the thing was, is like most of that obviously like came from, shall we say, like the main, you know, guy in charge. But amongst like myself or like a lot of like the camera people or just other people on set, it was... I don't know. It was it, I, it was very sibling esque, and that I definitely was missing out on in my real life, by all means. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I think it's interesting that you gravitated towards kind of like this dangerous situation mm. in some ways, um, out of a need for an emotional connection. Maybe. Oh yeah. 
That's that's I, interesting. Because you were already mm-hmm. in a dangerous situation because mm-hmm. you did experience the abuse and the lack of, you know, you didn't have that emotional connection. So, so you went from that danger <laughs> to like, let's engage with this um, underground society that also mm-hmm. was dangerous, but did fulfill a need. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Well, and that, that is kind of what kept me hooked, if you will. It, it was that. It, it definitely did fill, that, fill a need that I didn't know I had. Because um, the other, I think the other thing I was desperate for was to not be judged. Mm-hmm. And in that, I mean, because man, I, and again, we don't need to go into this, but let's just say up until this point, I had really been put through the ringer of um, being judged publicly, even as a child. Like even even having again, shall we say, like the the sins of adults, um, you know, ascribed to me as a child. I mean, that's a lot to carry around, and you really get a very warped self image. And so then all of a sudden, yeah, to to be in an atmosphere of like total non judgment and acceptance, like that was like crack to me. Mm-hmm. I was like, more please, more more more. Hmm. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> as you. Uh continued to participate in uh, bondage pornography how did you finally decide to leave the industry was it something that you decided on or did it happen Mm. without any decision and more of a spontaneous thing Uh, my question is how did you end up leaving the pornographic industry Mm. Mm, i would say there's a spontaneity to it um well, here's the other thing. There was one girl who was a sex worker before I ever entered the industry, and she's like, only do it for a short time. She's like, only do it for a year. Uh-huh. Well, I didn't really listen to that advice. Um, if anything, I ended up doing it for five years, okay, which is a long time to be doing that. And I would, uh, and uh, part of it was that a lot of the questions that I came in with were being answered, all right? maybe to my own oh, satisfaction yeah. Going back to those questions yeah I got, so and and then some um i also noticed that it's quite i mean it is inevitably very dangerous to be playing around in the snake pit with the scorpions um and i also knew that this this sort of i almost had like a compulsive attraction to danger if you will <laughs> um and you could almost say that, I guess maybe finally maturity happened. Finally, I turned 25 and my prefrontal cortex finally solidified. I mean, who knows, you know? Yeah. But, um, yeah, because I was like, girl, I know that we don't really think about your long-term life, but uh, this path, mm, about that, you know? Yeah, and that actually makes sense around that age because mm-hmm. you just think about sensation-seeking happens usually when you're younger. Mm-hmm. And then when you're, you know, mid twenties, late twenties, thirties is when you start to, like you said, you start to develop that, that prefrontal cortex of <laughs> maybe there are some consequences. What do I really want? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cause yeah, long-term consequences were not at all in my vision <laughs> yeah. at all. And so, yeah, I, mm-mm. So there is, yeah, I had even, I had no concept that like the work would be around forever. I had no concept that trying to acclimate back into society, if you will, would be difficult. Mm -hmm. You know, I had no, no concept of any of that. Also, 
again, partially because I, I mean, maybe even like some of my friends, if you were like that, it was cool, you know? So it's like, I wasn't really getting, I wasn't getting a lot of blowback actually for what I was up to. Nobody, nobody came to rescue me. Yeah. Like people knew, like they didn't say anything. So not that they should have, not that it was their responsibility to, if, you know, but I didn't, I didn't encounter a counter voice until I was like 25. Mm-hmm. And that got my attention, and it got my attention in a big way, and it did make me sort of like leave it all overnight. How did that? How did that uh, person mm. address you or come and talk mm. to you about it? Because you mentioned not, you know, all of us don't like to be judged. Mm-mm. And so, how did he or she approach you in a way that was healthy that you didn't feel judged, but you started to really question maybe this isn't for me? Mm. You know. Well, sure. So, well, part of it was, there was a lot of just, uh, you know, there was a lot of just weird phenomena happening in my life at the time. And talking to my best friend, she's like, hey, you should so go talk to this, you know, this this elder. We're going to call her an elder, an elder woman, all right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to go consult your elders, you youngin, all right? Spread some wisdom. Exactly. And I was like, okay, fine. I mean, what have I really got to lose? Um, I need because I needed now again, I needed answers to questions, right? Mm-hmm. And I needed to go to the person who had them. And so essentially, yeah, I just had maybe I'll just say I had like a soul to soul consultation with this person. And partially because I trusted indeed in like the recommendation of my friend, and also partially just because this woman was very no BS. Yeah. Like, she was on the outside of the industry. She, you know, like, she she had a different kind of influence, if you will, that really came in her favor to get my attention. You know, she was beautiful. She was older. She was successful. You know, like, I was like, okay, all that works, you know. Um, And she she just talked to me straight up. And it was also just like, look, girl, like, your sexuality is a gift. You cannot be misusing it in this way. And essentially, like, yeah, and what you're involved with is really dark. Um, and I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so is that towards the end of the five years? Yeah. Okay. Be- because if anything, I, I can't say that I, I, I did want someone to give me a counter voice along the way. I was almost kind of like dying for it, you know? But no one, yeah. And so when I finally heard it, to be like, girl, you know you can do something else. And not only that, like, this is such a lowly use of your gifts and talents. Like, where do we even begin? <laughs> like, you know? Like, yeah. No. And so mm-hmm. from that conversation, what sparked inside of you? Was it an immediate mm. exit or... Well, here's the other thing. I mean, and this sounds ridiculous, but I had even spent like all those years like working, you know, towards this goal to like work with this one guy who did just bizarre work. Okay, I, you know, because that's the other thing about the kind of work I did, and that kind of kept me hooked, is there was like a weird artistic component to it. I mean, it's like if you had a dude who could like build a whole device for you like that that was a form of pride it's almost like an artist muse relationship all right Mm -hmm. again though like in the lowliest saddest world possible for that ever to happen and okay um and so that's the other thing i had to like let go of that i just like let go of like my goal of that i just like saw straight through the bs it's like that again that wasn't the primary arena for anything creative especially because that creativity required destruction um 
yeah, and I just, I, and, and I just also even started to get the feeling that like the next time I worked, I would be permanently injured. <laughs> so. Really? Yeah. Like this intuition was coming up like, mm-mm. Really? Uh-uh. Don't mm. do it. Yeah. Mm. I think that, I don't know. You, it's it's tough to determine what is the average consumer, mm. right? Because kind of like what you said, what is normal when it comes to sexuality? Yeah. So I don't know. But what I was going to say is I think to the average consumer, they would listen to that and be like, whoa, like what? When you said mm-hmm. that you were going to experience permanent damage, like mm-hmm. I don't think the average consumer is aware that like how violent and aggressive it can get. Mm. Oh yeah. I mean, and that was part of it. It's like, sure. There might've been safety reputations, but the thing was, look, the thing, uh, I, I, I think, look, that's a lot of mouth mouthpiece. Can I say that? It's a lot of milk toast mouthpiece. Okay. Because Especially, and I don't even know, I mean, does, does anybody really care about this, Garrett? I don't know. I wonder, you know, yeah. but, but it is undeniable that the sort of things that I was doing on set were like absolutely like sort of like neck snap worthy, pass out worthy, problematic. I mean, even things just, you know, like nerve damage that would last for a few months. Common. You know, you just get used to it. It's not really... Hmm. Yeah, but again, really, should the body be taking that much abuse for pornography? Absolutely not. Yeah. So you talked about your goal of working with this one individual, mm-hmm. and then after speaking to this um, this woman, you're, you eliminated that goal, mm-hmm. right? So when you eliminated that goal, what replaced it? Was it a desire for a healthier version of yourself or... Hmm. Um, oh, that's okay. How do I answer that? Well, I think that I wanted to, I, I think that, well, I still had questions about power, if you will, but I wanted to explore those in another way. Mm-hmm. And I think that the, the other thing was that I also wanted a complete little time out, all right, from anything sexual for a while. Yeah. Like I, I, you know, not that I was sex negative or anything or thought, all right, where I completely disavowed it. Not like that. But I was like, girl, this has dominated your life for a long time. Like take a little, take a little fast, yeah. have a little fasting season. And so, well, so here's the thing, right? And so even with that, I mean, so yeah, so I would just find myself then in context, very healthy context, like, you know, away on a Norwegian island, you know, with like the country folk, you know, like very mm-hmm. bucolic wholesome community like environments that sort of yeah brought me back to life if you will in a lot of because again i needed i needed human connection and genuine bonds with people yeah but i needed also it to happen in a way where it doesn't seem like we were just creating trauma bonds with each other or i had to sort of like pay or do something for love so so you started to experience um that healthy connection and did you find that healing? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it blew my mind. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's neat. Yeah. That makes me happy. Yeah, it really did. Well, if anything, because I think that also I had carried around this very erroneous idea that I was bad. Mm-hmm. And if anything, it's almost like nothing could be farther from the truth. If anything, I have like a certain sweetness to me that I could, 
not only identify but give to others in a healthy way so yeah. mm. i i think of the uh the humanistic perspective which was mm. you know brought about by carl rogers and mm-hmm. i really agree with it i like it a lot and one of the things he says is that people need genuineness acceptance and empathy yeah you know to become the best version of themselves so you talked about you know the shame that you felt and feeling like a bad person because of mm. your experiences how did you was that it was how did you get rid of that shame how did you start <laughs> to express because genuineness if you mm. break down what is genuineness it's self-disclosure you know it's openness yeah. and self-disclosure so where did you start to be comfortable like find a space where you could experience genuineness and acceptance and empathy mm. it's so funny uh, well by developing a distaste for artifice that's one way like you you consciously develop it. well and not only that you you start just practicing honesty you, yeah. it's, you just almost adopt it as a practice and you see where it leads and you see that it's almost like one little shackle falls off every time. Mm-hmm. And you like keep going down that and you just notice that, yeah, e- even uh, even if truth has consequences, okay, like the freedom of it becomes delicious to the point where you almost need it. Mm-hmm. And once you develop that need for it, then then you're definitely on the right path by all means. So, oh. That's neat. That's really cool. Yeah. So were you experiencing this while you were in a faraway land in, in mm. Europe? Well, I do think that um, one thing that is healthy is to, you know, go somewhere you don't know, you know, because there is oddly enough something about, a f- I don't care if it's a foreign country or just like a town you don't know a few miles away, I, you know, yeah. doesn't matter, just out of maybe your ordinary environment. Because there's something about that that will almost like reintroduce you to the authenticity, uh, the authenticity of yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And as you started to, you know, really see yourself for who you truly are, what did mm. you start to see? Mm. Well, I mean, it's okay. It's a little bit almost like looking at a like a like a little prism up to the light because there are many layers. But one thing I definitely was yes to check my uh, level of curiosity. Um, and, and to almost understand that, like, one, I did not need to know all things, okay? Because if anything, it's like that that insatiable. You want to talk about lust. I had a lust for knowledge, all right? More so ever than any person, all right? Mm-hmm. And so I had, yeah, I had to check that because that could definitely steer me down into, in, like, coax me into rabbit holes I did not need to be going down. Um so there's that. So it was even almost like a, it was like kind of a sweet kind of humility though, where almost even like, I view even like that person now who did those things, I call it almost like little sister, all right? In my brain, it's like she kind of didn't know what she was doing, yeah. all right? Like, you know, and like, <laughs> bless her heart. Yeah, so, for sure. Yeah. So yeah. as you start to see yourself, you know, you're eliminating that shame and you're starting to see your uh, true self and uh, you know becoming the best version of yourself and you're at the same time trying to acclimate you know you mentioned Mm. one of the challenges of being in the porn industry is to leave the porn industry 
what were some of the difficulties that you faced as you oh. were acclimating back? <laughs> um, some of them I'm not even allowed to speak about. <laughs> um, no, it's true. Um, <clears throat> well, here's the thing. I mean, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's no picnic. Um, I mean, maybe, maybe there's a few like total miraculous rescues, but, but even then there's still going to be some sort of maybe purgation process that's going to follow, like some sort of healing is going to be necessary Yeah. and healing always kind of involves pain in some way. So there's that, um, well, here's the one thing I had on my site because it's like, I never completely neglected, shall we say like my other talents, and I always, uh, you know, it's like it was sex wasn't everything that I did, for example. Yeah. I was a big, it totally dominated my life, but it wasn't everything I did. So even like keeping those little fires alive, if you will, allowed me to sort of, you know, like help those sorts of abilities blossom and blossom quickly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that, oh my gosh, I'm losing my train of thought. No, it's easy to do <laughs> in a long conversation like this. <laughs> Did you ever, um, did you ever, you know, cause you mentioned that you became almost, uh, what's the word? You almost developed a compulsive behavior around mm-hmm. the violence. Yeah. Did you ever find yourself because compulsive behaviors usually aren't, you know, it's not from one night the next day you're going to not have those desires mm-hmm. anymore. So mm-hmm. I'm just kind of curious as you were acclimating, did you have that, did that compulsivity present itself again and again? And mm. you were like, actually, I don't want that. It's not healthy. And you had to draw yourself back to a healthy state. Yeah, many times. Um, and here's, here. okay, here's a moment that I think that, yeah, you could definitely f- put in the shame cabinet, okay? But it would be later on, like after I left the industry, right? Where I would just be like watching a film, all right? Um, and like th- maybe there was like a scene of like sexual assault. On, on the screen and then all of a sudden like my body would respond I'd be like oh heck no yeah I'm like oh heck no we're not doing this no 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 and so if anything like all I really knew I needed to do was to almost like set aside a bit more time to actually starve that connection a little bit more and or try and reroute it in another way yeah. but not only that like if that kind of response did pop up you know like if I was exposed to something and I had sort of a whoa you know reaction to Mm -hmm. it I would also sort of like you know talk to myself calmly at the time be like it's okay Mm -hmm. (laughs) like you don't need to freak out you're not a pervert you know it's just some old it's just a residue from conditioning yeah you know and so sometimes like even like in that kind of self-talk like that I would do I mean even that could just sort of take care of it but it would involve, but it does require some sort of careful attention, if you will, especially in any kind of intimate dynamic, um, or anyone that maybe I do feel genuine desire for to keep an eye on that. Yeah. Like I have to keep an eye on it. Yeah. You used the word or the phrase residue from conditioning. Mm-hmm. And I think that as some of our listeners are listening to our conversation you know, a portion of them are going to be in the midst of their compulsivity. Mm-hmm. They're going to be listening to these conversations in hope that they can, you know, use it as a way to consider before consuming. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> I think that oftentimes the consumer, not only, you know, you as a, 
as uh, you were a performer, but also the person on the other side of the screen, the consumer, is caught up in this compulsivity mm. and in this shame cycle. Yeah. And I think that they are they're similar because yeah. whether you're the person performing or the person consuming, that shame cycle can be similar. So mm. my question is, what advice do you have for a consumer mm. who doesn't want to engage, who doesn't want to consume anymore and who is stuck in that shame cycle of like, is this truly what I desire? Because sometimes I, maybe I think it is because Mm. my desire, it's a, it's a recurring thing, you Mm. know? So how do they, just like you said that this, sometimes it can be triggered for Mm -hmm. you. How can that person get out of the shame cycle and continue to press forward? Hmm. Well, I might actually offer a question yeah. um, in response to that, which would be when you're when you find yourself in that situation, or even just as we're pondering this in general, are you really addicted to pornography or are you addicted to shame? Hmm. Um, because I think if you actually sit with that question for a little while, that might illuminate a little bit more of the reality of what's really going on because i even think that any kind of compulsion is usually some sort of secondary reaction to something and so it's a response i mean compulsivity is a response to something and so it's like what are we responding to here and if shame is that emotion that you're really as you know in bondage to okay for uh no pun intended but um well, then why? Like, why is shame a cycle that you need to repeat? Why does, like, where did, where did shame first appear in your life, if you will? Where has it come up in the primary moments of your life? What are some of the things you don't want to think about that you're trying to stuff in the closet and ignore that are rotting and festering, you know? Like, you, it's, if anything, it's like, look at it as an invitation to engage both your experience and relationship with shame in your life in general. And that's like part of how you unwind yourself from the compulsive behavior. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Mm. Thanks for sharing. Sometimes I feel like my questions are really like long winded and like I go (laughs) in like a roundabout way. And so you bailed me out there. And I, I think that I'm just grateful that you, uh, you know, understood my question and your, Mm. your advice of why, Man, that's, it's a good question. <laughs> it's a deep question. It, it, it does make one start to really question, you know? Yeah. Why do I want to do this or why do I want to do that? Mm-hmm. Well, it's a, it's a, and I have to say, I, I had to ask myself that question. And when I really did, I mean, that's, that's what, that's what really broke me free, so... That's mm. awesome. And um, since breaking free, um, what are you enjoying now that you've, you know, left the porn industry? Um, what are you enjoying about your life? Oh, too many things. Um, it, well, and that's a good thing. Um, uh, Oh, it, I feel like oftentimes I'm just tickled. I'm just tickled in everyday life, which is a good thing. Because here's the other thing that's kind of... I've, I've never lost my playful spirit, ever. 
Yeah. Um, and so it's like, so I've never even adopted, even, even in periods of like extreme depression, if you will, or just despair, I've, I've never completely lost that like joie de vivre. So, um, and, and the thing with that now is I think that I, I have become very, if you will, even just, just compassionate to other people's struggles and their wounds. And so even to be able to be of any, excuse me, like any service to that in my work, and again, be able to provide others like, again, that sanctuary of non-judgment that I was always hunting for. I mean, like, that's a, that's a gift just to be able to give. So I so enjoy that. And um, I, I mean, my gosh, and I'm just, mm, there's a lot of now, there's a lot of like, shall we say, oh, like things that are baking in the oven right now, you right. know, as far <laughs> as like possibilities and the trajectory I want to go, but you are, you definitely called me out for, you know, Garrett, I'm like, it's true, I do want to write, that is something that's almost getting my primary attention right now, so I think even it would be, like, so much pleasure and joy to be able to have more time and opportunity to do that, so, yeah. yeah. Are you considering writing out your experience into a, a book? I mean, what does that look like? I don't know anything about that, okay? So I, ooh, you know, that I think that's a, how, what that looks like, we shall see, you know? I, I don't know, because again, I don't want it to be tabloidy. I don't want it to be ugh, just, you know, another sob story. It's like, I better have something meaningful to say. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, I think oh. you, you said that I called you out for your writing, and that's the <laughs> truth because you, um, you know, as we've emailed back and forth, mm. I've just been impressed. You definitely mm. have a way with, um, you know, some people call it like a wordsmith, right? <laughs> but you have a way with words, and um, in regards to your concern, like you want to put forth information that is valuable, and I think mm. that you do you know you're mm. you're really good at what you do and um in sharing your experiences so whatever you do with writing i'm sure it's going to be fun for you because you enjoy it and also valuable to whoever reads it so well yeah. is there anything that um you know that's stirring inside to you that you want to share uh or anything that i haven't asked that you think we should discuss oh good grief well Oh, I think not. I, I see. You know why I think that? Because I'm already. I'm thinking of baguettes and brie right now. I'm like, what? What is it? Snack time? I mean, really, what is this? Um, no. But if anything, I'm really. I'm shook up by just yeah, just like the pleasure of this conversation and how just touched I am that you would want like this little lioness to speak about anything. So <laughs> I'm just honored. Yeah. We feel the same way. Talking about porn can be tricky. That's why we created an interactive conversation guide called Let's Talk About Porn. Simply select who you'd like to talk to, your partner, child, friends, parents, or even a stranger, and select the type of conversation you'd like to have. We'll walk you through a healthy way to approach this taboo topic in a productive conversation. Let's Talk About Porn is available for free, both in English and Spanish, so you can be prepared to talk when someone asks why you're listening to a podcast about the harms of porn. Access the guide and start talking at ftnd.org forward slash blueprint. That's ftnd.org forward slash blueprint. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Consider Before Consuming. Consider Before Consuming is brought to you by Fight the New Drug. 
Fight the New Drug is a non-religious and non-legislative organization that exists to provide individuals the opportunity to make an informed decision regarding pornography by raising awareness on its harmful effects using only science facts and personal accounts. If you want to learn more about today's guest and the conversation we had, you can check out the links included with this episode. Again, big thanks to you for listening to this conversation. As you go about your day, we invite you to increase your self-awareness, look both ways, check your blind spots, and consider before consuming.